Ireland Decides with Ivan Yates. This is News Talk. You are most welcome to this referendum results special here on News Talk. I'll be with you till one o'clock. I have a host of stars for you to pick the bones out of the yesterday's results. Joining me on my first panel are Nora Owen, former Fine Gael TD and Minister for Justice, Brenda Power, barrister and columnist, both with the Sunday Times, which you can read today in the Daily Irish Daily Mail, and my News Talk colleague here, lunchtime live presenter, Dr. Kira Kelly. Uh, later on, we'll have his story. And Linda Connolly. We're going to have all sorts of the good and the great of Anna Bachik, Ellen Coyne, Lynn Ruan, the independent senator, uh, and Peter Boylan and Susan Mitchell and David Quinn will also be joining us. Well, if you're a Liverpool or Leinster supporter and you've been living under a rock for the last 24 hours, you may not know the basic details. Over 2 million out of 3 million people voted by a majority of 2 to 1, 700,000 of a majority uh, we voted to repeal the Eighth Amendment only one constituency out of the 40 didn't and that was Donegal. As a quick reprise before I get to my guests let's just hear from two voices from yesterday. Uh, we'll hear from Alva Smith, director, co-director of Together for Yes but first let's listen to Leo himself. I think what we see is the culmination of a quiet revolution that's been taking place in Ireland over the past uh, couple of decades. Uh, The public have spoken, uh, men and women, almost every age group and every social class. And that demonstrates to me that we are a country that is not divided, a country that says that we uh, respect women, uh, that we trust women uh, and that we support them in the choices and decisions they make. It really, the people really have given us the mandate that we asked for, the mandate that we needed to make this change. And today we have, at long last, a modern constitution for a modern country. It is really quite extraordinary and I feel... And I think so many people, and perhaps particularly women, but I think we do feel extremely emotional about it because this is so significant. It matters so much. It matters so much to women right across the country. I think it matters to men. I think it matters to Ireland as a whole. It feels as if a new Ireland has been there that we didn't really quite know about. It was beginning to appear with the marriage equality referendum. It has absolutely come to the surface. Alva Smith and on this historic moment the Sunday papers all reflect the result. The power of women with a photograph of ecstatic women in Dublin Castle as the official result was declared as in the Sunday Independent. The Sunday Business Post goes for generation yes. The Sunday Times Ireland opens door to abortion. Vragker hails quiet revolution and the Irish Mail on Sunday. Dr Boylan who will be joining us. Women in danger if new law is delayed. Nora Owen, your initial reaction? Well, I I felt in the last week that it had moved very much towards the yes. I didn't expect the the gap to be as big. I was working on about 56%, which I thought was going to be a very good result. Um, But I felt in the last week that, uh, you know, every time I turned on the radio or television, I hate to say it, but anybody on the no side, I think people were getting tired and distressed by the constant negative attitude that was being put forward. Almost like we cannot trust our women, we cannot... uh, When you say negative, you mean negative towards women? Negative towards women and and negative towards 
make recognising that there was a real issue at play here for the last 35 years. And I just felt that each time I heard somebody on, for their own sake, they should review it. I think they lost a vote every time somebody came on uh, and that led to the extra five, six, ten percent that I think that the yes side won. Um, Look, and talking to people and listening to people, the quiet, undecided were always, we always considered the shy yes. We always considered them the shy no. Yes. But this time they were the shy yes. But but can I ask you for your reaction uh, in terms of uh, a la 1983? You were a TD at that time. Yes. And you look at the last 35 years, like was your feeling one of joy, one of relief, one of, oh. Primarily relief because you and I know that in 1983 we didn't need that referendum. We had the 1861 Act which for bad abortion. It was a huge mistake. And yeah. it was a huge mistake. We got advice that it was a huge mistake. Poor old Garrett tried very hard to change the wording so it wouldn't be the wording that went in, although there was going to be wording going in. No, he and, he, he and Charlie made a complete mess of it. They did. Really. They both got they, caught. They got into a Dutch they auction against They both got caught by SPUC the you know what at, at the, the beginning time, yeah. of the whole campaign and they left it. And though some of us tried very hard um, to, to get Garrett to change, he did change the wording but it was defeated in okay. the doll. We'll come back to that. Brenda Power, your initial sense uh, yesterday? You know, I was walking up to vote uh, in, in our local polling booth with my daughter on, on Friday evening and I have to say I would have agreed with Nora. My prediction would have been 56 would have been fantastic. 56% would have been amazing. And you know, as we were walking up, I noticed women seemed to be coming from everywhere. Prams. And, and you, you, you knew they're all going to vote. And I remember walking back and, and I cannot to vote, say yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, no yeah. question. But but. I remember walking back with her and saying, and look, there were four yes votes in our house. Three of my kids had never voted in any election before and went out of their way to, to, to register for this, saying to her, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this was a lot bigger than people think. And she was out that night and I texted her and said, it's almost 70%. And I, I cannot remember feeling so emotional and so kind of proud. I know people, I, I hate people saying I'm proud of my country or I'm ashamed of my country. But I thought, God, you know, we are a, a much more generous, informed, compassionate, big-hearted people than we sometimes give ourselves credit for. I mean, in yes, in, in general elections, we do tend to vote out of self-interest. We do. And, mm-hmm. you know, no matter how disreputable your local TD is, if he got you planning permission, you'll vote for him. But when, but when it's a bigger issue and when it's a conscience issue, do you know what? We actually do put some thought into it and we behave in a generous, compassionate way. And, and I think that has been borne out in the last two, two elections. So my response was, you know, this is actually quite a fine little country we live in after all. Kira Kelly, uh, in fairness to you, uh, uh, I, I was involved in something where I'd written an article for last Saturday, not yesterday in the Irish Indo. And I was told I would be taken off radio and TV if I wrote it, explaining how I was going to vote yes and so on. And you, I know, have had a long standing position and under BAI rules, you have been hugely constrained in what you can say. So now say what you really think. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the gloves in, are in off. Fairness, I do have a great respect for the BAI rules because I think there's a, a good reason why broadcasters are not supposed to, to take up a position on, on air. But yes, long before the referendum was called, I had for many years been writing, advocating for repeal of the Eighth Amendment. So I'm not sure I can really do justice to the emotion I feel. I am so thrilled. I am so delighted. I am so proud and I am so emotionally invested in this 
for me, to be honest, Ivan, this was never really about abortion. It was about how Ireland reached out or did not reach out to care for women in crisis and it was how we viewed our women. And we viewed our women here and we treated our women here differently than they did in the UK or in France or in Germany or other countries that might be comparable to us. And I found that a bitter pill and I didn't want it for myself and I certainly didn't want it for my daughter or any of our daughters going forward. So I was utterly delighted and, and and I was afraid I was afraid to hope you know I, you know I we were here I was I remember the anxiety in the office here on, on, on Friday I could hardly concentrate to go on air because I was agitated worrying about the result of this referendum and when I saw the exit polo I think it came in at about five past ten it came in earlier than we expected from the Irish Times and I saw 68 for a moment I didn't understand it I thought is that the turnout I'm not sure what that means but what, what what because I didn't believe for a moment we would Do see you, I'm, I'm actually quite surprised at that insofar as in Dunley even the dogs were wearing stickers for yes. I mean, I thought it was an absolute tsunami in Dublin and the whole sense of T-shirts and uh, stickers well, and, right. and people yeah. and, and men wearing them. And it was kind of cool but to be not, yes. But, but, but Ivan, is that not, you know, the sort of fundamental lesson of this particular vote that, you know, we in the media in Dublin tend to think, well, we have one view and it's shared. Of course, it's shared by, by ourselves and our, our, our neighbours and, and people who think like us. But once you get outside the pale, you know, you're into sort of here be monsters you don't know what to expect and it is astonishing I think it has astonished a lot of people to discover you know what they think exactly like we yeah. do they, there is no difference between mm. between the rural voter anymore well and I don't know Barbara but I, in I, some I of the other think, yeah Brenda, Brenda sorry I, Brenda. I think I, I think you know I was just saying before we came in yeah. you know when yeah. you see a 58% vote in, in, in a, a rural constituency like Ross we would have been delighted to settle for 58% a week ago yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. except that the history of, of the of the difficult votes were that we did see a bit of a rural but, hasn't that uh, changed, but it has changed and of course it has also changed because a lot of people have settled in these counties I was looking breaking That's down the vote in Fingal and the towns that have had the most mm. building in it and the most new people they were way up at 75 77% we, yes, we've also been so joined, young uh, it's a great pleasure to welcome Linda Conley, Professor of Sociology at Maynooth University and author of um, The Irish Women's Movement, which chronicles various darker days uh, right through back in the 70s and 80s. Linda, your reaction? Oh, well, and in a historical perspective. It, absolutely. So, I mean, it's, it's highly significant. Obviously, it's 100 years since uh, suffrage uh, was granted to women in Ireland. And I think what's really significant is how we used the vote. Uh, they were afraid we would. That's why they didn't want to give it to <laughs> well, us. That is true. Um, but it's a long time, 100 years. Um, you know, we have huge political underrepresentation of women in Ireland, etc. But I think this is an example where women did uh, use their vote in significant numbers to make a change if that affected I, I, their lives. One of the things that struck me was, I didn't know, in 1983, yes. 75% of they women did. voted for the Eighth uh, Amendment. Yeah. The, the, the significant, yesterday, more than three out of four, or roughly three out of four, sure. what has happened to women's own opinions? Um, I think, first of all, I mean, 1983, we really were talking about a totally different country. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think Ireland itself has changed significantly in the last 35 years. If you, um, I was 12 in 1983 and funny, after all the, the kind of excitement yesterday about, you know, the result and everything, I sort of felt that 12 year old kind of coming into my head. Just thinking about that kind of context, it was a very hostile uh, political environment. But as Ireland. a historian, 
the change in women's own attitude? Is it that we've had more international outlook? Is it like there, there's another element to this, which yes. is not gender quake, but youth quake. Mm-hmm. And and that, that, that what, what really struck me is that, you know, pregnancy comes from sex and that if you're under 40, you have a different attitude to becoming pregnant. Mm-hmm. And that if you actually look at people under 40 and how they voted, it was nearly four to one in favour of this, sure. whereas oldies are less concerned <laughs> about getting pregnant. Is that not like is it, maybe we're looking at this through the prism of gender when we should really be looking at through the prism of youth? Uh, no, I actually really disagree, because if you look at the exit polls yesterday, it wasn't, for instance, the, the death of Savita Halepanava that was the key indicator. It was the principle of a woman's right, right to choose. choose. Yes. Mm-hmm. And to me, that 62%. is absolutely mm-hmm. to me, that is the success, inverted commas, of a 40 year uh, feminist movement, which has over time been challenging the way in which um, we perceive uh, the role of women in Ireland, mm. including remember, as, me- yeah. as mothers. Yeah, I just want to follow up yeah. on a point that Kira made, that this wasn't about abortion at all, Brenda. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think this was not so much a vote as a verdict, basically, on the way this country has mm-hmm. treated women over the last 30 to 40 years. And, and I have to say that I felt when, when, when those HSE memos in the cervical smear mm. uh, scandal were revealed and you saw clear as day the sequence of priorities. It was the lawyers, the labs, the media, no mention of the women. I, I actually at the time I thought this could not come at a worse time for the no campaign because if anything has put into stark mm-hmm. relief the, 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 the way that women's health and issues relating to women's health have been moved down the agenda. Well, well, Brian, and, and this, I want to challenge you on that in so far as in so far as that, you know, I chaired umpteen debates on radio and television. Mm-hmm. Rape incest, fatal fetal abnormalities, Mm. uh, uh, all the technical, legal and medical issues, you know, and, you know, we might have a separate discussion about uh, violence Mm. against women, two really difficult cases in the last week and the whole Mm. uh, cervical cancer uh, uh, scandal. Um, But they didn't like I actually put that to Mary Higgins yesterday. Did it actually create an overlap in people's minds? Is, is this how badly we should... You, you're actually it saying did. that, whereas I, a lot of the actual debates were siloed into the specifics of abortion. You think, but I, I think that it created an overall sense of are we going to trust women and are we going to allow women the autonomy over their own bodies? Mm-hmm. And that's what this was about. Yeah. You know, are we going to allow women to make decisions, to not just trust them, but actually... And you think that was the axis of the debate? I do think mm-hmm. that was the axis. I, I think, I, I think, I think, I think to Linda clear, now, yeah. as, as a historian, there's an interesting aspect of all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in 1983, the referendum was passed in was passed in the same numbers as this one was carried um, and and was 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 passed. But in 1992, when when the then Fianna Fáil government tried, they were forced to bring in a referendum on information and travel because now the situation arose in the X case that somebody couldn't travel. But at that referendum, they put three questions, travel, information and a rolling back of the X case. And that was the first sign that a government in any country should have noticed that the people were not for just 
take for granted because that was voted no. They did not want to turn back the X case. And then in 2002, Fianna Fáil and ironically the PDs then brought this huge mad 25th Amendment in which they then tried to put six sections of an act into the Constitution. Can you imagine if we had trouble with 43-3 what we would have had? And that was Michael McDool as AG. I'm glad Michael McDool has obviously and a lot of people have changed their mind. But they brought tried to bring in a referendum that said we will roll back the X case and suicide ideation would not be a reason for, for, for somebody's health and, and life to be a threat. Cure so the, the, yeah. the, And then the divorce referendum just to, uh, yeah. the, came in and gradually there's been a move. It has taken 35 years but it suddenly burst out mm. this kind of sense we want our freedom as women. I'm long past the age of childbearing but I know the sense and I, I reared my children and all that. Granddaughters. Sort of and Granddaughters and everything. Daughters. Yes, yeah. I'm Kira. glad you mentioned the, the debates that, that you would have had and we all would have had on, on air Ivan because I think we were having possibly looking at this result the wrong debates and I think we were talking to an Ireland that didn't exist. Mm. I think we were framing the debate about we were dancing on the head of pins about conception and we were dancing on the heads of pins about rapes and collateral damage of rape victims and should they be made to have their little baby and it wasn't the baby's fault. And we were having all these conversations and they were not the conversations that the ordinary people in Ireland cared about. The conversations that we were having in the media, I genuinely believe, were not addressed to the actual concerns of people which were around things like the right of women to yeah. choose and I think we have missed a trick as the media as indeed have many politicians particularly in Fianna Fáil to actually connect with Irish people I don't think well, the Irish well, people can I, can I are who we thought they were they the are broadly okay. liberal they okay. are broadly very open minded on all of these things <clears throat> well Actually, it was the no side wanted to, in the, particularly in the last week, get away from what they called the 3% of hard cases into you're going to have an abortion culture, you're going to have 20%, 1 in 5 of babies, not only disabled babies, but for career reasons, for social reasons, but for I economic reasons. I think the reasons, no side going made to have a, a terrible a mistake and I have no disrespect <coughs> to them. And I actually I have, you know, I do believe in the democracy and I don't believe that we shouldn't have dissenting voices and all of that. So it's not that. But I, I believe that they made a terrible mistake in who they put out front and centre mm-hmm. because the people they put out front and centre centre have no constituency. Those hardline fundamental absolutist kind of Catholic sort of things like the Iona Institute, things like Senator Ronan Mullins, people people who have those sorts of views do not represent the views even of ordinary no voters or indeed of ordinary Catholics in Ireland. Mm. Ordinary Catholics who are a much warmer breed, who are a much uh, yeah, that more, is quite striking. Group the had, no, had no voice in this, and that's yeah. what we had in the, the last polarized week. people out there who actually did their own, their own people, the no votes, no, no service votes. whatsoever, because they they threw votes to the yes side with a polarizing. Old school debate on abortion that wasn't paper. relevant nowadays. Uh, uh, Brenda, you have a piece in today's paper about Clotter Head yes, and people yeah. walking out a mass. Yeah. Because uh, I was very struck by the exit poll, which said over 60% still said on the way out, having voted yes, I'm Catholic yeah. uh, and yeah. I, I'm still going to go to mass yeah. and I still believe in God and I still mm. believe, in, but I'm still voting uh, against what the church says. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that story. Yeah, this was the, this was the uh, the communions last weekend, which was the, the last weekend, uh, which I suppose the Catholic Church had an opportunity to to get its message out there, and these parents had brought their children to to to, to church for their communion, which you know is a very fundamental sacrament in the Catholic Church. If you are a believer, um, 
and were, were offended that the priest in a Catholic church on a Catholic occasion uh, basically enunciated Catholic Catholic teaching. What it says and on the tin. Out, yes. <laughs> and walked out. And then John Halligan claimed that he was banned from being his, his, his godson sponsor at his confirmation, another Catholic sacrament, because he is an avowed atheist who is on the record as saying, I know for a fact God doesn't exist. I wonder how he... What epiphany um, <laughs> brought that home to him. But the point is, you know, one of my bugbears, I have to say, one of, one of my, the, the drums I beat all the time is freedom of speech. The Catholic Church is as entitled to its free speech as anybody else. If you go into a Catholic Church for a Catholic service, expect to hear Catholic teaching or don't go. Mm. Don't go. But I have no time for these people. I have K- no Kira, time for people uh, just finish, who, yeah. who, who, who engage with communions and confirmations for the party. Kira, you just to interrupt you, you'll be familiar. We do take breaks on this stage. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back with lots more in a moment. Ireland decides with Ivan Yates. This is News Talk. Welcome back to our post-mortem and analysis of the referendum result. My panellists at this stage are Linda Conley, Professor of Sociology at Maynooth and author of the Irish Women's Movement, Brenda Power, Barrister and Columnist, Dr Kira Kelly, News Talk presenter, and Nora Owen, former Minister for Justice. Just some texts. Ivan, I was driving past the Red Cow Roundabout on Friday and there were no campaigners on the flyover with huge banners with very Mm. explicit photos of a Board of babies. They had camcorders recording people's reaction. I thought it was disgusting. It must have been very upsetting for women. I thought the no campaign were an absolute disgrace in their approach, says Ray in Kilkenny. I, Mary says, I'm a proud no voter and my conscience was my guide. Nothing to do with religion nor age. I don't have the right to end anyone's life. And David Lucan says, of course it's about abortion. Bring the end result. Let's pivot on to the issue of in a historical context firstly church and state Um, we have been on this journey from the point of when I first was involved in politics 1979 a doctor's prescriptions for condoms Mm. uh, was a minister for health uh, minister for (laughs) health uh, Charlie Hoy right through to two referendums on divorce to all the eighth 12th 13th, 14th uh, Amendment. Just tell us, uh, first of all, Linda Connolly, um, the historical perspective of yesterday's decision vis-a-vis the people saying to the church, thanks, but no thanks. I I think what yesterday witnessed the the culmination of a much longer uh, process of uh, fundamental tension between what we might call uh, tradition and modernity. I suppose Ireland was different in the 1970s because one of the key uh, influences really in recent years has been the fact that uh, in 1967 abortion was legalised in the UK. So in a sense, it was the, the legislation in the UK that framed much of the battles, I suppose, that went on in the 1970s and 1980s. As you just said there, we didn't even have legal uh, access to contraception. It was banned in 1935. Um, So uh, I suppose the first issue in terms of tackling what we've phrased today as reproductive injustice at the time, which was called reproductive rights, uh, was to actually secure contraception. So much of this sort of direct action against the church, the picketing of the bishop's residence, very radical tactics were actually to do with contraception. So abortion came later in 1980, really. So is this the final stage of it when you say culmination? Well, I, I think what... Of the severing of our kind of no, I, church I think, and state? N- n- not exactly, but I suppose... W- 
getting back to what we were talking about earlier, what we've seen is, I think, uh, very clearly in the results yesterday, a disentangling of that relationship between what we might call mm. private morality and public ethics. Yeah. And we all have our private morality, you know. But um, you don't want to foist it on everybody. Exactly. Mm. And I think the reason for that was what you were saying, Nora, yeah. 1992, we see, I suppose, not just this notion in the 70s of these kind of feckless women who were promiscuous and went out there and got pregnant and were running to England that we actually saw, you know, these kinds of cases where a 14 year old gets pregnant because of rape, um, you know, women who have um, cancer are denied treatment, all these kinds of issues, um, uh, fetal, uh, fatal abnormalities, etc. So we see a realisation gradually emerging that abortion is a complex spectrum of circumstances mm-hmm. and a move away. And, 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 and the fact that the eighth, I suppose, in a sense, wasn't just um, a violation of our rights as women, but yeah. also was, I suppose, creating um, danger and that the maternity hospitals actually become the focus. Yeah. Nora, there will be people coming out of mass today. And we yes. had a vox pop of people from Swords yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Henry McKean had uh, people saying the country's gone. Uh, all traditional values are gone. No dignity for human life anymore. Um that's Tell us about that change in terms of church change, and state. Yeah. I mean, first of all, one thing we do have to be careful. This has been a tremendous day yesterday and the result was tremendous. We have to be careful about yeah. over jubilation as well, because even people who voted Triumphalism. yes. Triumphalism. Over pe- even people who voted yes. But there are people who worked hard for this are entitled to be joyous and to be glad that we've got there. I was reminded when I look back at 83, some of the side issues that happened. Books were taken off library shelves in our own libraries because they made references to abortions, even if there were miscarriages. Magazines that were coming in and out from England had to be had to be published in different format in case a little ad for an abortion clinic crept in under the under the shelf and was on on the shelf of your local book. So there was all sorts of things. 1985 contraception only then was being uh, legalised for over 18s without a prescription. In 80 when Charlie Hawhey brought it in you had to have a prescription and in fact sometimes they looked for um, their, the marriage cert to make sure you were using it properly. Um, one story that Kate O'Connell told. Well, there wasn't a lot of sex in no, those no, days. No, no, well, no. We all came from under a cabbage leaf, you know. Um, one one story Kate O'Connell told because her mother was a pharmacist as well. That when the pharmacy inspectors would come to the pharmacy after co- condoms were allowed to be available, they weren't looking at how much morphine you'd used. They were mm. counting the condoms to make sure you hadn't overprescribed or that there weren't some of them being slipped out. And the the wonderful Frank Grummy used to be caught with them coming down from the north, and he'd say it's for my own use with five of them or something you know so there were funny stories attached to it as well but what we've seen is a recognition that people's lives they can be Catholic but they can also mm. be secular as it were but and they get Carte, on it, it like the church is, is quite clear in its yes teaching. it is mm. quite clear and you're not you're, there are certain rules and you but, don't have to be a member but no but when divorce came in the 85 referendum that Fine Gael put to the people wasn't properly researched I was mm. on the subcommittee that helped to run it and we didn't properly research who would get the farm but the issues that mattered were who would get the farm who would get the widow's pension that sort the of thing the first wife against the second wife yes yeah. and all yeah. that and then we came to 
25 was only carried by a very small majority. Mm. But again, it was people saying, look, people's lives are not the way the Catholic Church would want them to be. They're not all lovey-dovey so, and happy. So, have we so we've moved in. We had about five small baby steps. I looked back, Ivan. There were 19 steps to the, after the 1983 amendment to try and do some corrections mm. or changes to it. The 19th being yesterday. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, so we, we really have never had other legislation okay. that needed that kind of Have we woken up today to a secular state? You know, I don't I don't think that this drift or disentanglement between church and state is anything new or that, that anything much has changed as a result of this vote or that this vote indicates any huge change in that. Well, I, mean, I can I think assure you that no people, people do feel I think there will be lots of, of, of yes voters at mass this morning. And they are able to square that with their conscience and their concept of Christianity. And, you know, I think there is a difference between conscience and doctrine, if you like. And that's possibly what we've seen, because can you think of a, of a greater, I suppose, example of the teaching of love your neighbour than trust their conscience? Don't impose your conscience on them. So, you know, the days when people bought lock, stock and barrel the Catholic Church teaching are clearly gone. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a a Christian morality that has informed people well, to say, see, I trust you. And hold I, on, I, I, hold I on. That's no, too convenient. You, Can I put will. it to you? Can I that, put that, it to you? Might, yeah. That there are still issues like the baptismal barrier yes. for enrolling to primary schools, yes. 90% of which are Catholic in this country. Yes. And a lot of young parents are very pissed off with and, that. And quite rightly, mm. and that should not exist in this country. So, so we don't have such a secular state. Kira Kelly. No, no, we don't. And what was very clear to me, although the people I would suggest are far more secular than, than they have been given credit for when you look at this result. Again, the media, I think, was reflecting an Ireland that didn't exist. So we had things like obstetricians with, I mean, you're going to have one of them on a little bit later, Dr. Peter Boylan, 40 year service, the head of the College of Obs and Gyne, hugely experienced, debating against religious radio broadcasters. Mm-hmm. So we were literally putting up uh, doctrine against mm. science. Yes. I'll in, match in a way your doctor with my Catholic priest. You know, yeah. I'll give you my opinion because I'm very religious against what you're telling me you're doing when you're delivering babies and you're actually in hospitals with sick women. That was ludicrous in this mm. debate. And I looked at it many times and went, when Sky News and people swept in here and described us as, as the land of steeples and churches and we went, God, they're very stereotypical, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. No, they were right because that's what we were doing. We did put up doctors against people who were religious fundamentalists. That's what we did. But the people have rejected that. That is not Ireland of the people. And you ask about the church and the church's doctrine. The church is the people, whether you want it to be the lads in black or whether you want it to be the doctrine coming from the Pope. The Irish church is a grassroots organisation like the bloody GAA and the people have spoken and they feel this. And Brenda is right. There will be have yes voters with no stain on their conscience Mm. at mass And how do you think with the papal visit upcoming? People will go out and wave the flags and be delighted. It's like the royal wedding. So we're great hypocrites. We love the Pope. (laughs) We vote against everything he believes in. Before the abortion referendum came, don't tell me that the people going to mass weren't having sex before marriage weren't using contraception and weren't doing lots of other things that the church uh, you know doesn't exactly endorse and frowns upon you asked off air what where to next I'll tell you I think there is one more battle that needs to be fought because particularly of this result there must be no religious ethos in any of our maternity hospitals we cannot allow religion and health to mix. And what is they the story there? As a clinician water. yourself, what I is the would, story there? I would lie in front of a bulldozer in, in uh, Elm Park if there was a question that the company running the new National Maternity Hospital has. I'm not quite sure. No, no, but in terms of the voluntary hospital ownership, is that still an issue? 
My understanding is, is, is that we're getting to grips with it and it's all going to be all right. But I'd like to see it in black and white because I believe of all battles, even more than education, the battle for women's health is at odds and will always be at odds with the church and the okay. church has no role. Let's One thing we didn't mention text. was that the, the scandals, unfortunately, that involved a lot of priests. And the clerical abuse. Yeah. The cler- clerical abuse. And, and I think that, that was part of the disillusionment. Yeah. And it has made it very hard for priests but who are not can, in can that I category. Can I also say, on a number of programmes I was preparing, I would say to my editor producer, could you get us on a bishop, the Bishop of Elfin or the Bishop yeah. of Dublin? Or the, the clerics were very reluctant to get involved in this, uh, oh, which was quite different. Let really me take some texts. Yeah. Sarah Minute says, I've had such anxiety about the 8th being repealed over the past few weeks. This was a vote about trusting woman, women. I should, uh, I should have trusted Irish women to repeal it. Things are now the way they should have always been. Mary says, the very sad thing about the result is that it actually has nothing to do with what the church says. It's a matter of right and wrong regardless of religious belief. It's a matter of human rights. All humans have a right to life at all stages of life. It's horrendous that people celebrate the result. Well, we're not going to rerun the campaign. Uh, Sinead, thankfully yesterday proved that we have moved on as a country from Catholic Ireland and move on without the Catholic guilt we have suffered from the years, says Sinead. And do the panel not realise men voted yes too? If this was an exclusively women's issue, should dads have no role in decisions about their children? Keep the text coming 53101 six. The legislation is the next phase. Next uh, Nora, uh, yes. we spoke on this programme to Michal Martin, uh, to Simon Harris, who's bringing a memo to Cabinet to go ahead with the draft bill. Um, what, what's your sense? Will well, this be contested? You know yes. in the long grass there's a in a free vote context, intense pressure can be put on TDs. You don't yeah. vote for this mm. and we won't vote for you? Well, the, the, the result and the high yes vote is a help for TDs who might feel threatened, as it were, if they were being uh, being pushed and shoved around. I don't know whether the legislation, I have a copy of the sections here, I don't know whether it'll be exactly like that mm. because obviously Simon Harris had to put something forward. You couldn't have run this referendum without some idea of what would happen. The 12 week clearly is going to be the issue on which the most debate will take place. Uh, and well, is there it not be a mandate for that? Uh, no. There's a mandate, that's what I was going to say, there's a mandate now for it because if this um, amendment had been, if the repeal had been um, rejected, then you could say the legislation was part of the reason why it was rejected. The repeal has not been rejected and now the legislation is there. So what I think will happen is there'll be a, t- you know, a, a clarity about who, who, what people will have to do, what the 72 hours for a doctor will involve, what kind of training a doctor will have to have. That couldn't have been specified uh, I, 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 in the draft. Because I'm going to let you go after the, this, this yeah. break here. So we're going to conclude with you as 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 a frontline clinician and, and you go from legislation to clinical protocols and so on. What do you think is a realistic, practical explanation? Because I was speaking to Mary Higgins yesterday and she said she actually had someone in her clinic who had a very tragic fatal disability prognosis and and the the mother said to her well if the vote is passed on Friday can I get it done here on Monday and and there was kind of hold on and Peter Boylan's on today's paper saying this is urgent yeah. what's I, your take on the well, timetable well, and I the do legislation think is, first of all I think two things I think one thing with regard to the legislation that any attempt to change it or dilute it at this point post Citizens Assembly post Oireachtas Committee mm. and post this kind of a mandate from the people speaking in the referendum would be an insult to the electorate I, yes. I don't think that should happen. From a second point of view is I I think one of the reasons for speed being necessary is every single woman who travels between now 
and whenever this uh, legislation is enacted, um, will, be a thorn, will be a thorn in, in the government side. Every single woman who has a fatal fetal abnormality diagnosis that goes to the airways saying you have not gotten your finger out and moved quickly enough for my family will be a, a mini noteworthy sort of small scandal in, in health. So I think there is a pressure. The people have said they want this sorted. Mm. I can see no reason to hang around. And now there's always political reasons because of general elections and, you know, government, uh, minority governments and, and, and all of, of that. And obviously with Fianna Fáil as, as part of the minority government being in, I would suggest probably today, a little bit of disarray about where and they go from here. wanted to get this out of the way before yeah, election. Yeah, you know, Eamon yeah. O'Keefe said there wouldn't have been a referendum if Fianna, no, Stephen Donnelly said the opposite. There would have been a referendum if Fianna Fáil had been in government. But nonetheless, Fianna Fáil is, is a party of two houses currently, mm. I would suggest. Mm. And, and I think... And their voters, 50-50. Yeah. Well, we would need to see some action on this and quite quickly because it is unfair on women to be left in limbo while, while politicians argue the toss. Okay, uh... Kira Kelly is not like me who does seven days and seven nights a week. She will be performing at 12 o'clock here tomorrow and we're going to give her a little break and let her go. Ivana Bacek will be joining us. Linda Connolly, Brenda Power and Nora Owen are staying with me for lots more analysis. Ireland Decides with Ivan Yates. Welcome back to this special programme reviewing the result of the referendum. Uh, Linda Connolly, Brenda Power and Nora Owen have stayed with me and it's a great pleasure to welcome a veteran campaigner, as long as I can remember, has been one of the really powerful advocates uh, within the Labour Party, within the Shannad. Ivana Batchek joins us. This must be a very proud and satisfying, gratifying result for you. It is very proud, Ivan. I mean, it's overwhelming, actually. I don't think any of us campaigning as we have have been so uh, intensively over the last few weeks and in my case as you say campaigning for many years I don't think any of us could have predicted the size of the majority there was certainly an enormous quiet yes that just came out in the nu- in numbers we did not expect I had allowed myself to hope in the last few days that we of the campaign that we would we, w- we would win it I've been a veteran as you say of many referendum campaigns and certainly would never take anything for granted but I did think we might win it but certainly not in that incredibly decisive and resounding and what manner. was your emotion uh, in, in overwhelmingly because usually we talk to you about law and logic yes. what was your emotion <laughs> well yes I know it's funny to be talking about emotion but I was very emotional yesterday overwhelming relief actually gratitude um, just incredible gratitude actually for fellow a citizens a sense of sisterhood a sense of sisterhood an incredible sense of solidarity because it was men as well as women and actually I was leading a big a huge canvas team as it turned out in Dublin Bay South which returned the, the highest yes, yes in the country I was delighted to see 78.4% but enormous numbers of volunteers were turning up in the canvas every night and loads of young men as, and older men as well as young and older women which I, I thought our teams would be mostly women I didn't think we'd get the numbers out we'd 100 out some nights it was just phenomenal and that was just one of the teams across and was there an age profile to that no as I say there were older and younger men and women coming out but it was really gratifying to see how many men were coming out in solidarity with their women friends partners girlfriends mothers so it was absolutely wonderful and to see that demographic uh, represented that it wasn't wasn't just young people or old people it really was a united vote yes okay I think this is an important moment to remember over the last four decades, uh, when this position of a woman's right to choose was neither fashionable nor popular or populist. And there's a lot of women, and I personally was a colleague of, of Monica Barnes, but there are many others. So I'd like to give the panel an opportunity to look down memory lane and say, who should we remember today? Mary Robinson or other politicians, Dr. Noel Brown or different people who who, who, who would be 
either with us or not most gratified, like Peter Sutherland would have been someone that would have had a lot to say about this. Uh, Linda. Oh, I think there are quite a few people, really. I mean, again, um, one of the key uh, people in the 1970s was Mary Robinson, who went on to be president of Ireland. Uh, she she was, uh, as a senator, uh, challenged this notion that a woman could control her fertility. Tell us could about the legal case she took. What was that um, about? Well, she, well, she it wasn't it to the European Court of Justice. Um, in terms of contraception, did, oh, that, no, did, she put a bill, oh, right. a, a bill to the Senate, which mm. was, I suppose, the precursor of the 1979 Act, which then Charlie Hawhey gets all the credit for that. But mm. actually, like most of the things we're talking about, a lot of work went into, um, I suppose, the legal aspect um, of this. The Mary McGee case, I think we should remember Mary McGee mm. as well today. Um, she challenged the right to marital uh, privacy in relation what to... What year was that? I, uh, I've forgotten that. Oh, McGee was 75... I was going to say 75, yeah, but 74. Okay. Yeah, and again, that was highly significant um, as well. So all those kind of individual women who, who took What cases. about the train that went to Belfast? The, oh. no, the no, contraceptive train. No. Yes. Yeah, that yeah. was yeah. Yeah. Brenda, tell no, us I'm some of your no. colleagues in the media. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, I have to say, Ivana Bacic's name has Absolutely. been there mm. or thereabouts oh. throughout the Well, she's the with us, yeah. <laughs> 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 but, I mean, I, no, I'm talking about people who, who yes, yeah, I accept that. But Nell, I think, Nell, that, that contraception that contraception train, when you try to tell, you know, teenagers now, <laughs> when you can walk into, you know, two years and story. buy a contraception, tell that story. they went north and bought condoms and came home. and, and, and To be arrested, was To be arrested yeah. in, yes, in Houston Customs. Mm. The you poor costumes men nowhere to look. Yeah. What year was that? Oh, 71. 71. 71. Yeah. 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 1971. Yeah. 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 Seeing the footage, the clothes that yeah. they're wearing, the, yeah. the hair styles, mm. the flared jeans. You know, it, mm. it doesn't look, their clothes don't look a million miles removed from what you'd see today. And yet, it, they were coming back to a completely unrecognisable Ireland mm. to teenagers. And they, were part of, they were part of a continuum, uh, I think, uh, along the way. I mean, Senator Mary Henry was a constant raiser of this issue. Mary Robinson, obviously. The beloved Monica Barnes. We were about to have a press conference on the Friday of the week that Monica passed away and we cancelled it and had it the following week because they brought out some of us oldies. Gemma Hussey was also very involved. Madeline Taylor. Nula Fennell. Nula Fennell. My own sister Mary Mary Benotti was very involved over the years. Maura Gagan Quinn. Very, very perspicacious in bringing in the anti-illegitimacy legislation and the the anti-homosexual laws and that. And I remember that debate in the Dáil and it was mainly the women who spoke on the debate about homosexuality and I'm afraid there was a few men who were appalling in what they had to say in that yeah. debate and Maura held her nerve and, and went mm. through with it and brought Fina Fall through with mm. it which was a big step and Michal Martin now has a job of work. If I could just politically say that there is a certain examination of this whole vote that political parties will have to do because the, the fact of, as it were, transfer friendly parties mm-hmm. is all gone now. This is a whole new electorate out there and young women and men have been motivated yes. to vote. Well, people are also what now. about the 34 percent? Who represents them? Well, the, somebody will represent them and, and obviously constitu- uh, some TDs didn't come out and say where they stood. They'll be l- reviewing what happened in their own counties and looking to see whether they now can come out and slip into the yes or the no campaign in order to get that There's vote. no I doubt mean, a lot of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil TDs privately went missing during they this, did, thinking they did. their constituents were going to vote going no. Going to vote no and now they look at it and suddenly they'll they'll be telling all the things they did and we have to be careful of that kind of hypocrisy How as well. How about Sita uh, Savita Halepanarba? Mm. 
think that oh, was a huge, yes. Huge I mean, people were crying in front of the mural. In fact, I, it's yeah. very emotional to think about Savita and to think about that tragic death, which I think was a the huge catalyst for mm. a new generation mm. of activists. Mm. Minora talks about yeah. the young people who came out. That was hugely evident, certainly in terms of the ground teams across the country, canvassing with Together for Yes and all the volunteers with Together for Yes. So many young younger people coming out who had been politicised and radicalised, yeah. I think, by that tragic death of Savita, by the vigils around the death. And we all remember that incredibly emotional outpouring of sentiment at the time where people just felt such empathy. And I suppose really what it, brought, what it did was her death brought home to people the stark reality of the harm that is caused by the Eighth Amendment. Well, the fact that her parents and the chairman of the inquiry yes. were on TV screens mm. last week, I think was impactful. It was powerful. Yes, it Professor was. Aral Kumaran, who is the, who's the, absolute the international expert, obst- obstetrician expert, who had led the chair mm. of the inquiry into her death, was so clear about the role of the Eighth Amendment in bringing about in, in a cause being a causal factor in her death that mm. I think there was no denying yeah, that because those that those waters had been muddied yes but there, was was att- there were attempts yes. yeah yeah there yes, was incompetence indeed, absolutely and, yeah. and it yeah. couldn't have been set down more clearly last mm. week but but just to another woman and, and other, other women you say you talk about women in the media because obviously women in politics had a yeah. huge impact but but women like Mary Holland who came out and yes. admitted that they had yes. abortions at a time when that was just mm. absolutely yeah. beyond the pale they were enormously pilloried yes. and and, 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 and abused and courageous. And more recently, Roisin Ingle and Tara yeah. Flynn also yes, who yeah. have come out but, and but told their story. But this is maybe 50, 20 years ago. And Ruth Riddick, Brenda. I'm yes, thinking Ruth also Riddick, when you mentioned yes, Mary Holland, yes. Ruth Riddick, who yeah, absolutely was yeah. vilified. Again, yeah. she came out. And I remember as a student, yeah. it was my first yeah. meeting on this issue was a meeting in Liberty Hall. I think it must have been in 85. Yeah. It was before our student information cases, but at the time of the oh, cases that were being taken to close yes. down yeah. the counselling services. Is there any man? And Ruth spoke and she might our president was very strong in 1983 again Michael D. Higgins and he smiled quietly yesterday when he was interviewed for how he had voted and that but you knew that he was a very happy man because he was I remember his speeches in the Dáil and he was absolutely apoplectic about the the 1983 amendment Uh, as were some of the other men Alan Jukes Michael Noonan and I'm thinking of of the late Adrian Hardiman who obviously was again very actively involved in the anti-amendment campaign and obviously there was something we there was something we alluded to earlier uh, which there was kind of divided views. Um, was this vote about Ivana Batrick, about abortion, or was it about trusting women and women's place in society vis-a-vis the cervical cancer story and, and, and Brenda made the point that when you go through the HSE memos, how far down women's health was relative to the cost of the litigation and, you know, protecting the bureaucrats and so on. Well, I think it was about both. I think you're right. There were a number of issues here. There was the issue of abortion itself and women's access to abortion. And, you know, looking at the exit poll and the motivations people gave for voting, that was a huge factor was people wanting to wanting women to have autonomy, bodily autonomy and the right and what we call the right to choose, which and we didn't use that language so much in the campaign because Mm. we did want to focus on women's health, on the need to ensure that women have access to safe health care here in Ireland. I think that was a crucial factor, but it was also about women's right to choose and therefore about the bigger issue around women's role in society and around equality. And I think as the campaign went on, more and more people began to see this as a vote about the kind of Ireland we want to live in, a more progressive, more equal and caring Ireland. OK, we're coming up to the top of the hour news and a break. I'm going to let Brenda and Nora go. A final mm-hmm. comment, Nora? 
Well, just to say thank you to the Irish people for showing such maturity and that we can move on now into getting the legislation into place and just let people get on with their lives and make their decisions. Any regrets? Anything you saw that you found? Um, I'm sort of disappointed that there was a lot of the manifestation of some of the 83 nastiness mm. in, the, in the no campaign. I hate to say that to them. And I noticed that even though... Give us an example. They, well, they began, to, they began to say, well, you could have done it differently. You could have brought a different kind of an amendment into the Constitution. Mm. And then when they asked uh, Pat Tobin the other night on, on RT and they asked for Dan Mahilly Eames, well, would you vote for it? There was just a kind of silence. Yeah. So, yeah. like, yeah. even though they're making these cases, they would not vote for anything. Brenda Carroll? Uh, yes, yes. I, th- I think that, um, you know, we were talking earlier about the legislation and what's going to happen next. You know, traditionally in this sort of situation, the issue for politicians was, oh, well, it's fine to vote in, in Doyle Aaron, but when I go back to my constituency, that argument is now gone because when you go back to your constituency, with the exception of Donegal, you will be facing an overwhelming majority of people who want you to get this legislation through. Yeah. And I mean, that is what's changed. My thanks to Brenda Power mm-hmm. and Nora Owen. Ivana uh, and uh, Linda are staying with us. We'll also be joined by Ellen Coyne, uh, Senator, Independent Senator Lynn Ruan, uh, Peter Boylan and Susan Mitchell. Stay tuned. Ireland Decides with Ivan Yates. This is News Talk. You're listening to a News Talk special looking into the referendum result with all the insights and analysis the day after Ireland historically voted to repeal the Eighth Amendment. Later this hour, we will be joined by David Quinn of the Iona Institute, Peter Boylan and Susan Mitchell, health editor with the Sunday Business Post. Staying with me now is Labour Senator Ivana Bacic, long lifetime campaigner and advocate for women's rights. Uh, And it is a pleasure now, uh, Professor Linda Connolly is still with us. It's a pleasure to welcome Ellen Coyne, a journalist uh, with the uh, Times Ireland edition. Ellen, you have forensically, patiently covered all aspects and sittings of the Citizens' Assembly and the Oireachtas Committee. Just retrace the steps of what you think were the most pivotal moments of that process, because a lot of people were very cynical about it, that it was going to be kicking to touch, anything to defer and evade a political uh, responsibility and decision. Absolutely. I mean, the one person that I'm thinking of this morning and wondering how he feels is Enda Kenny, because I think either by accident or design, he brought Ireland to a more pro-choice position politically than it ever had been before. Uh, You're correct, in 2015 he announced that there would be a Citizens' Assembly to consider the issue of abortion. At the time it was criticised by a lot of people, including my newspaper, which took an editorial position that said that it was just a delaying tactic. We have been absolutely proved incorrect and that's not just because we got the result that some people perceived we wanted. Enda Kenny at the time, uh, as I understand, didn't want to go into the issue of having a referendum on what was then a very contentious and divisive issue on just what his personal opinion was. He wanted to be backed up by evidence and have a sample of what the appetite for reform was in Ireland. Before the Citizens' Assembly, the conversation about changing the abortion law in Ireland had been restricted to this narrative of good for abortions versus bad abortions. The perception was that people who had had fatal fetal abnormalities, had experienced sexual crime, deserved to access abortion. But up until then, uh, the concept of a free access to abortion legislation often referred to as this spectre of abortion on demand, was almost portrayed as a bogeyman that was much too far for the Irish people. The Citizens' Assembly was an extraordinary process because it was the first time, not just in Ireland, but I think in 
any other country where the conversation about abortion politically had all of the heat taken out of it. It was a forensic evidence-based approach. Let's not forget that the uh, pro-life campaign, the Catholic Church, the Iona Institute and Youth Defence all contributed to it. But by the end of it, when people looked at the evidence, they decided that the best possible law in Ireland would be free access to abortion up to 12 weeks, the first time in the history of this state that that ever became a political and possibility. And that, that fed into uh, the Oireachtas Committee, the special Oireachtas Committee, which Senator Catherine Noon uh, chaired. I read the evidence of the Citizens' Assembly Chairperson Mary Lefoy, Judge Mary Lefoy, and she went to quite a lot of pains to emphasise to the politicians that she felt the report didn't adequately explain the uh, pivotal nature of the abortion pills and the availability on the internet. Just talk us through that and the Oireachtas Committee where you had people like Billy Kelleher and people that, you know, were, were Lisa Chambers, not necessarily a slam dunk to be pro-repeal. That became quite, quite an axis. Yeah, I mean, the pills have been a huge argument for reform. Um, I'm not quite sure why, but there seemed to be an acceptance that when women were travelling, there was kind of tacit agreement from it politically. But when it was brought to our own front door, literally by on po- literally by on post delivering the pills, um, th- that is when, you know, politically it was kind of decided we can no longer ignore this. This is a very hypocritical amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean... The abortion pills were revolutionary in that they were probably the most tragic act of civil disobedience that women in this country have ever done. And I'm sure that the women who were taking them weren't doing it with the intention of repealing the Eighth Amendment, but it just became undeniable. And, there and was at f- that stage, the issue of uh, bleeds, infections and all that, was that apparent at the committee? It was at the committee. Um, I mean, as Miss Lefoy said, it didn't go into the abortion pills in a lot of detail. They have been a relatively new phenomenon. Um, and in terms of public knowledge of them, that has kind of only been in the last couple of years. You've had groups like Rosa going around the country on buses, kind of highlighting the nature of them, pointing out, you know, we are giving women these pills. We are setting Well, that's up. where the 12 weeks came in. Yeah, it, it was. It was. Ivana, uh, just, just uh, anything you want to amplify from what well, Ellen has, you know, and I, Ellen, I think you've been the most prominent journalist in covering this and credit to you for it. Uh, what do you think? Because often, you know, when you retrace your steps of Anna Batchik, you can say, ah, like so a lot of people said the speech of Micheál Martin in the doll was a kind of uh, light bulb moment. Yes. Yes, and I, I agree with Ellen and I do want to also pay tribute to her great journalism on this issue for many years now. But to say that she's quite right about the uh, the importance of the Citizens' Assembly and the Oireachtas Health Committee is the processes that brought, I think, that brought a middle ground to accept and to realise that the Eighth Amendment could not stay and that it had to be repealed for, for in, in order to enable women to have access to decent health care here. The abortion pills were critical and remain a critical issue. And uh, certainly, I think, also the other effect that a growing awareness about the the number of women who are taking them here in Ireland that has the growing awareness also fed into I think doctors coming out much more strongly than they've ever come out before in this campaign because they are so concerned as Peter Boylan and others have said that a woman will die or mm. suffer real serious trauma as a result of not, not having access to medical care and support while taking the pills here. And Ivan, if I could just say this, and I spoke last night with the Taoiseach and the Minister for Health about this, I think there's one thing we need to do in the next two weeks. We can't do it until the referendum result is is formally declared, I, and I understand that takes a week, but we need to do this imme- almost immediately, is to move to decriminalise 
the uh, abortion, to take out the criminal yeah. sanction. Well, what, is no that 1861 or what? No, no. The it's criminal the 13 sanction, Act, is the it? The 2013 Protection of Life During Pregnancy Act remains the law, even though we've repealed the Eighth Amendment. That legislation stays in place, but it no longer has constitutional backing. In other words, when we were told when we were bringing that legislation in, that's the legislation that allows abortion on grounds only of risk to life. Uh, it's the basically enacts the X case test. We were told we had to include as criminal sanction in that bill, in that act. Because of the Eighth. Because of the Eighth Amendment. Because the right to life of the fetus is so elevated. So, so the 13th Act, even though section. it permitted abortion in certain circumstances, needs to be repealed itself. Well, the, that act will have to be repealed and that's included in the government's proposed framework that Minister Harris has already published. But he has said, and I think rightly, it will take some months to have that legislation finalised and to go through the Dáil and Shannon and passed into law. And I think he's now saying that will be done by the end of the year. But it's simply not good enough that women or girls who import the pills, and we know three or four are doing so every day, who import the pills tomorrow or the day after or this week, are still going to be facing criminal sanction now that the people have spoken so decisively to repeal the eighth. We no longer need the criminal sanction in the PLDPA. And I think, and I, I think the minister is very open to this, and I think the Taoiseach's open to this, I think we in the Dáil and Shannon should move very swiftly to take out, delete that criminal sanction. Simply, simple piece of amending legislation could be done as soon as the referendum result is finalised, which I understand will be in seven days. We've also now been joined. It's a pleasure to welcome to the programme independent senator uh, and a fearless campaigner for women's rights, Lynn Ruan. Um, your reaction? Um, astounded, relieved, <laughs> emotional. Um, I think, you know, over the last few days, even though I was probably afraid to really believe that it was going to happen, um, myself and Ellen and a few others were up around Roscommon and Leitrim and Longford and um, we were out with the waving the flags of Leitrim and we had our yes, yes banners out and it, I felt the mood start to change a little bit because every everyone from ice cream men to men driving articulated trucks to taxi men, like they were all showing their support out the window, especially that demographic that we were all told we should be worried about, you know, I nearly feel like, oh my God, how was I so brainwashed to not believe that Ireland was as progressive as it should be, you know? And I think we believed this narrative for years and years that we've all these groups we need to worry about. But like, I mean, Catholic Ireland did vote like 66%. Like they did vote and they voted to uh, to repeal. What's the link between this issue and poverty, in your opinion? Um, well, there's a huge link, obviously, access. Um, also, in women being able to exercise their rights. I mean, sometimes when you have a lack of information or maybe uh, under education, sometimes what can happen is even accessing or recognising your rights to be able to exercise them. You know, so you could have rights, but you might not ne necessarily be able to recognise what those rights are because there might not be people around your table or in your community that have ever ex exercised those rights as well. Like, I mean, over the last few days, um, especially since yesterday, I'm like, how do we keep them women to the fore now when we're looking at the legislation and I suppose one part of that for me so I've already skipped now ahead a few weeks and I'm like okay the legislation <laughs> but one of those is for me like so women um, that are be living on low means their medical card is only assigned to one doctor yeah. so I mean we need to really make sure mm. those little tiny things where a woman if she's on a medical card or she's living in poverty or she's from a migrant community she can't just go to another doctor because it's, she is only assigned to that GP so she would have to pay to go to other doctors so we have to be able to look at some of those and, and is it not a reality uh, you know I think there's been particular cases that have been celebrated the, the girl in direct provision for yeah. example uh, that 
you know, there was an Irish, a British solution and an Irish solution if you had money to this in terms of a crisis pregnancy. Uh, if you didn't have money, it was maybe a different story. Yeah, like, I mean, women in communities all over the country were still managing to travel. I think maybe sometimes families, if you had a family that were supportive, they would chip in to try and help you raise the money. I think my fear is that that women that didn't have the means, it meant that they were having much later term abortions because mm. they would take seven, eight, nine weeks to be able to save small bits of money and be able to raise that cash. So it was ma- making them have to, you know, wait much, much longer period than maybe someone that had the money to travel in the first week or two of actually finding out that they were pregnant. So even though women did travel and some probably didn't, I mean, we have heard loads of stories over the years about girls um, trying to do, you know, throw themselves down the stairs, hot baths. I mean, that stuff was happening, you know, and that would be, I would imagine, coming from women that didn't have the access to travel, maybe. The, the other thing in relation to yourself, Lynn, you yeah. were on the Oireachtas oh, well. uh, 8th Committee. Tell us about that experience. What was it like for you? You know, if I could say with all your baggage and so on <laughs> and, and, and your feminist perspective on yeah. it and your kind of impatience because you're not a natural politico, you're an outsider. What, what was, how, like, were, were you furious with them? Were you actually impressed? Impressed by them? What was it? I was extremely impressed. I came out of there a different woman. I mean, I might be in politics and I might have a Trinity education and all those things, but I, I, I learned so much from the very first day I walked in there and I learned from the people in the room. I learned and understood that we need to be patient when people are on a process of education. So even though I had my views when I went in, I came out of that committee armed with facts, no longer afraid to answer the hard questions that I used to be ducking and diving from because maybe I didn't really know the answer or maybe I'm wrong, you know. So being able to actually have that level of information and understanding just made campaigning then in Tala and Coolock and everywhere that I visited over the last But what did months. you think of Matty McGrath? I mean, I found that furious. And Ronan I mean, Mullen. Like, you have a room full of women um, that are in that committee and the lack of understanding even the way they spoke of, you can be guaranteed that in that room some of us have experienced the things that they have sneered at. So being able to separate the personal from the political in that space as a woman who's a woman that's experienced crisis pregnancy, that's experienced motherhood, that's experienced other stuff that, you know, you're probably not going to put out there. But you're listening and you're watching them sneer at but that. But they say going, they didn't get a fair shake. Oh, they did. I mean, in the in private session, everybody was asked to put in their, their speakers. Everybody was asked to back up why that speaker was important. I mean, Matty McGrath's speaker, he never came back with why it was so important to have. I mean, some of them would read off lists but didn't actually really know the background. It was like it, the stuff was being handed to them, read out this person, you know, as a witness, where we had all put in uh, extensive amounts of work. Okay. Uh, Alan, was the whole thing gerrymandered by a government and a majority of the powers that be who wanted to repeal the 8th? I think I heard Billy Keller make a really good point about the committee yesterday because the same arguments are being trotted out that it was a fix, basically. Mm. And he was saying, you know, the point of this was to have expert evidence. And the expert evidence was that the Eighth Amendment does not work. And you can't balance that by bringing people in to say the opposite thing when it's not true, when it's an Oireachtas committee. And Matty McGrath and Ronan Mullen were under a huge amount of pressure because they were the main anti-abortion advocates on that committee. And it was obvious that there was going to be a referendum. We were in the middle of a process leading to a referendum. And Matty McGrath and Ronan Mullen had to make it clear at every single stage that they were fighting this tooth and nail. So they had to try and undermine the process from the very first committee meeting so that when it got to the point yesterday when the Eighth Amendment people had voted to repeal the Eighth Amendment, Matty McGrath is able to stand in front of a microphone and say, well, I was saying all along that this process was fixed. And blame the media. 
And blame the me. I mean, apparently, <laughs> like, my George Soros-funded feminist agenda single-handedly apparently yeah. changed the Constitution. <laughs> who knew you had so much power? Who knew newspapers still had so much power in this okay. country? Um, we, we've charted uh, some of the kind of microscopic incremental change, mm-hmm. uh, Professor Linda Connolly there. Um, put that in context for us. Uh, okay. do, do you think that the... Because one of the things that came out of the, the, the poll, the exit poll, was that actually... Four or five years ago, everyone had made up their mind about this and what happened in the campaign didn't matter and what happened in the Citizens' Assembly didn't matter. Mm. That there was always 62% were in favour of women's right to choose. Do, do you think history backs up that story? Um, I, I mean, just getting back to what we were just discussing here, I mean, I think the, the No campaign over time, what we call the pro-life movement, has had a huge role to play, I think, in terms of giving a perception of the kind of Ireland we live in. And then the reality appears to be something quite different. Um, I mean, the the, the, the key, I, I'd be very interested to see now the extent to which what we might call the right, the right in Ireland is willing to accept democracy, quite frankly. You know, we've had a resounding result. Well, we will be speaking to David Quinn later yes. on. The show. The dis, but the kind of disrespect that you're referring to in terms of the proceedings, the wonderful job that um, that Catherine Noon she did, did yeah. in, in terms of just Sharing towing the line while being extremely uh, objective and, and able to manoeuvre that was critical. Um, so w- what we've had, you're talking about the Citizens' Assembly, You have, I think what we've had in general is a whole process of deliberative democracy rather than allowing certain interest groups, the church, etc., to just prevail and dominate and be the experts. So a new idea of who the experts are comes into play here. The Citizens Assembly, you have the lawyers, the medics from a range of perspectives, the academics, even political scientists, the sociologists, um, being part of that very careful kind of slow burn approach um, of democracy. So we're talking about a democratisation occurring um, around women's bodies that hadn't been in the, the church were the experts. Of course they were. Um, um, so this was really, really critical. And the same um, with the Oireachtas Committee. Um, the second voice that came into that was the voice of women themselves. And we talked earlier about, you know, the, the political women who are important, but the women themselves who, who some of whom died going back to, you know, ni- 1984 and love it. We had the apology for the Kerry Babies case. All these dreadful, appalling uh, uh, things okay, that happened. Okay. And then the, the personal stories of the women themselves impacted uh, uh, Ivana, by um, as someone who believes myself in freedom of expression on both sides, when it was, you know, in 83, very much on your side and now on this side, People are entitled to a moral view of life. Uh, I, I draw the line myself that you can live your life that way. Foisting it on everyone is a bit much. But um, do, do we need to be careful here not to be triumphalist? I don't think anyone is being triumphalist. I, and I know you asked about you know what the effect, the, what effect, if any, the campaign had. I think the Together for Yes National Civil Society campaign and the Yes campaign generally did have a strong effect in the way it was run because we ran it in a very respectful, in a very dignified, in a very calm way, deliberately using language that was sensitive to the views of others, Ivan. I don't think anyone in that campaign is triumphalist. I don't think anyone on the Yes side was being triumphalist. I think we were entitled to celebrate the result and the resounding, overwhelming uh, respect it shows for women's rights, for women's bodily autonomy. So I think that was absolutely fine. But it was not triumphalist. And and I do no, think, and I do think, in terms of just respecting others' views, one of the loveliest things anyone said to me on the canvas was an, a much older man who said to me when when I knocked on his door, "I'm very anti-abortion," he said, "but I'll be voting yes because, in my view," he says. 
live and let live. Who am I to judge? So I think anyone who voted no will still, I think, be reassured by the knowledge that this was a vote about allowing everyone the right to but, choose but, and it but, won't but, impose but, but anyone's view A lot of people else. who live their lives, uh, uh, Lynn Ruan, in a very Christian way are actually very fine people. Now, I, 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 you know, they can be kind of bit Bible thumping and they can be a bit preachy and so on, but they actually are very good living people. Yeah, well, I wouldn't. And sincere. Yeah, I wouldn't deny that. I mean, um, I have lots of friends that would identify as Catholic and Christian. They got out and voted um, and they celebrated the vote yesterday, you know, so I don't think we naturally have to attach um, this. We do attach it to the church, I suppose we do. But I think the church as an overarching power rather than the individual people who identify as Christian and Catholic aren't necessarily the, the, the powerful church, you know, and they're kind of separate to each other, even in, in itself. I mean, yesterday you know when we talk about like triumph it's it's I think we I think we, we we should be celebrating. I mean, when I came down off the stage in Dublin Castle yesterday, a woman who knew me from Tala came over and hugged me and she was roaring and crying. And in my ear, she said to me, my baby can now rest in peace. And she was inconsolable. So, like, I mean, it's it's not about celebrating in a joyous way because there's pain and hurt and trauma attached yeah. to it. So it's like it's still a we still have to positively recognise that it is it is a, it is a win for women. It is progress mm. for women, but it didn't come from a place of happiness it came from a place yeah. of trauma and hurt uh, Ellen you were in Dublin Castle yesterday earlier Kira Kelly and Brenda Power made the point that this wasn't just about abortion it was about society's respect for women and appreciation of motherhood and that do you think that's valid Absolutely. I mean, to take my journalist hat off and my like young ovulating woman hat firmly on, to not get too esoteric about it. Since 1992, when we got the constitutional right to travel, every woman in this country has had a constitutional right to have an abortion as long as it's not in Ireland. And there is a moral shame associated with that kind of hypocrisy. And I mean, I'm probably at the stage of my life where I hope I will not ever be in a position where I need to access a termination of pregnancy. But I am getting to a stage of my life where hopefully I will be pregnant in the next few years and to know that if I do go into a hospital God forbid if something goes wrong my health will be prioritised and there won't be this external influence that actually could put my life at risk and just to come back to the point you were making about Catholicism I mean I was raised very Catholic and I would identify as Catholic and I think it's very important to say to people who were no voters yesterday we didn't decide that having an anti-abortion view was wrong I think to be anti-abortion is probably one of the most profound deeply held beliefs that actually does come from a sense of compassion for the unborn child if that is what you believe. We didn't decide yesterday that holding those views is not correct. We decided that the Eighth Amendment does not belong in our Constitution and personally I think that the effects of the Eighth Amendment show that it absolutely is not a good example of Catholicism at all. Okay, I'm going to give you the last word. My thanks to the last voice you heard there was journalist with the Times Ireland edition, Ellen Coyne. Uh, before that, independent Senator Lynn Ruan, uh, Labour Senator and lawyer uh, Ivana Bacic and Linda, Professor Linda Connolly of Sociology at Maynooth and author of the Irish Women's Movement. My thanks one and all for giving up if you're Sunday. You're probably all exhausted. Lynn told me, oh, the head isn't great this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen was even worse with the hangover. I can tell. Up next, we will have Dr. Peter Boylan, uh, who was one of the instrumental figures in favour of a yes vote. And separately, David Quinn of the Iona Institute, spokesperson for the no vote, still to come between now and one o'clock. Ireland Decides with Ivan Yates.